Welcome to Talking Giants Player Profiles and Projections. And today we have a very interesting player. And he is one Evan Ingram. Six foot three, two hundred forty pounds, twenty-seven years old next week. He's on the last year of his rookie contract. He uh, the fifth year uh, uh, option was extended on him. It's the last year. And this is such a a tough one. Because it has been an up and down career for Evan Ingram so far. You know, the the first round pick. Um, you know, the last first round pick by Jerry Reese. One of the last Jerry Reese members on the team. Him, Shep, and like maybe two other players. He's out. He's coming off of a Pro Bowl year. And if you ask people if, if he replicated last year, people would say it was a disaster. So it's just... It's so frustrating with Evan Ingram. Like he is the most frustrating player on this team because like he's not a guy you hate because you know because like he's a he seems like a hardworking guy, humble. Like you know he's not full of himself. Like he's never, you know he's never like going after people. Seems like a good dude. But those damn drops just have been brutal. Like brutal, brutal, brutal. Complicated, <laughs> mysterious. The most interesting man in the world, Evan Ingram. Yeah, great guy. He he is a great guy. You know, he's a great guy. He has a great backstory. Um, it's always he, he's a good talker. It's always great to hear. You know, whenever his talk, you know, him talking and his perspective on things. But last year, as a football player, frustrating is a nice word, certainly to describe it. Bobby Skinner. You know, a pro football reference uh, gives him credit for six interceptions when targeted with the fifty-five QB rating when targeted as well. Um, I think six interceptions when targeted is generous. I think at one point I counted at least 10 or 11 turnovers where Evan Ingram was involved. Not saying that all of them were his fault, but 10 or 11 where he was just simply involved and the correlation of him being associated with bad offensive play and bad turnovers, that was just a reality for him last year. But he does have the talent. You know, he does have all the potential in the world. And, you know, there does come a point where we've been saying this for years we have to force a player to look in the mirror. And it's like, well, Evan, Ingram, is it the system or is it Evan Ingram? We're going to find it out this year because contract year and will he be extended? Will he not be extended? Et cetera, et cetera. So Bobby Skinner, give me, give me some more on Evan Ingram. Well, let's go through the turnovers because the turnovers that were his fault. You had the Chicago slip and bobble where it's like he, you know, Jones throws it. Like he slips on the break of the route, slips, the ball gets bobbled up and someone behind gets his interception. That's one. San Francisco, the reverse. He, you know, it hits his hands. Um, it could have been a better pet pitch, but when a ball is being tossed, it is very soft. You should be able to grab it when you get both those hands on it. That's two. Philly, he had that drop on third down. Remember, you know, it was it was it was a hard pass by Daniel Jones, but it was on the target, on the money. He knew it was coming. You know, what didn't come out of nowhere? Dropped interception. That's three. I don't even want to count um, this one as a turnover, but. That also that game, the drop that would have essentially won the Giants won the division game. at the end of the game. But we're at three turnovers right now. Cincinnati, fumble. Seattle, hand, hit his right in the hands. Pops it up, interception, five. And then the last one of the year, where Dan, Daniel Jones at one point, for the guy that you know people were like, oh, he just turns over the ball so much. He was the QB who had the longest pass attempt streak in the NFL without an interception. At that point, no QB in the NFL had a, a, a longer passing streak without an interception than Daniel Jones until he throws the ball beautifully to Evan Ingram. He pops it up. A Dallas, you know, safety gets an interception. So, like, we could we could be coming into this year and a fun Daniel Jones talking point would be like, no QB has a, a longer streak right now than Daniel Jones active. 
But we don't because Evan Ingram caused six turnovers that were directly his fault. Where it's like, all right, who do we blame on the turnover? It was Evan Ingram. Six different times in a 16-game season for someone not a quarterback. Yeah, and the advanced stats of EPA, expected points added. Um, if you've listened to the show a lot, you know what I'm about to say. And this was like this was the stat that kind of perfectly described Devin Ingram's 2020, unfortunately. But there was no other target, no other skill position player that was targeted in the NFL that harmed his team and had such a negative expected points added as Evan Ingram did. And that is where we come from. And now we move to 2021, where we say that was so catastrophically historically bad (laughs) there is little to no way that he could repeat how bad it was in 20 you know in 2020 to 2021 right yeah because even if he's not good you, you just it's impossible to replicate those types of turnovers it's impossible you know and again like you mentioned being targeted you know not always that's not always his fault like the fred warner interception versus san fran that wasn't evan ingram's fault at all the T.J. Watt interception versus Pittsburgh, like that wasn't Evan Ingram's fault at all, you know. So, but at the same time, it's like, well, when you get a full season sample size, like that means something. Yeah. Now let's talk to the point of the idea. It's like, well, it's this scheme because I think the the idea that like, oh, someone's just got to figure out how to use Evan Ingram. I feel like that's a bad talking point because if you look at him with Shermer, he had really good numbers. You know, if you look at, especially 2018 when Odell left, like those last four games, like Ingram looked really good. And then the start of 2019, the the first five games, and then he got injured after that. He had 33 catches, 373 yards, two touchdowns. And I know it doesn't mean that he would keep it up at a 16-game rate, but just to kind of show you like what that would look like at a 16-game season, it's 106 catches and 1,200 yards. Like he was balling out, and then he got hurt. And the issue was that he got hurt. So I, I... and what does Shermer do? He used them on crossers, you know, vertically some, but a lot on just crossing routes. But so the point of like, oh, no one's used Evan Ingram correctly is a bad one. But the fact that Jason Garrett didn't use him correctly is 100% correct. Yeah, and, here, and here's why. So Evan Ingram received 94 of his 109 targets from less than 15 air yards last year. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. That's a lot of targets that he did receive. Granted, the Giants skill position players was nothing to really uh, run home about. And him, he was arguably the most talented skill position player last year. So targeting him was kind of necessary. Before week seven, Evan Ingram's yards before the catch was 3.7. A career low when Garrett was trying to use him like Jason Witten. So 3.7 yards before the catch. He ended the season with a career high 5.8 yards before the catch. He was targeted deep down the field or deeper down the field towards the second half of the season. And really, so if you look at the splits between the first half of the season, and second half of the season, pro football reference doesn't do this. I just kind of calculated this on my own. You have to figure that his yards before the catch towards the second half of the season, it had to be more than 5.8 for it to dramatically increase from 3.7 to 5.8. So here's my outlook on Evan Ingram in 2021. He is not going to be your stereotypical, prototypical tight end. Um, Because you also have to include this as well, where Ingram, every single Evan Ingram 20-plus yard play came when he was lined up out wide, kind of like as the pseudo-wide receiver in 11 personnel, and not with his hand in the ground. Not a single play of 20-plus yards Evan Ingram had when his hand was lined up in the ground. 
So Evan Ingram is never going to be this prototypical, stereotypical tight end like a Kittle, like a Kelsey, because also you have to think about his blocking limitations as well. But he is an option vertically. He's not a great route runner, but he's a big body. His straight line speed is there. And if he can catch the ball and get the ball in his hands and he can get some sort of separation, then he's deadly. So a guy that can get a 60 catches, maybe 50, somewhere in that range with not as much targets, I'm 100% for that where Evan Ingram is a situational target that is a weapon kind of down the field for us. Exactly. And and one, just using it like, you know, not making him the primary read in, in the offense a ton, you know, which a lot comes with that stick concept um, where the tight end is the prime. It's, it's not even, you're not even reading the tight end, you're reading the linebackers, but essentially the tight end becomes like the primary read in, in those type of plays. Um, but also like Kyle Rudolph's addition means I, I, I put him around 60% of the reps. Yep. So that means one, you got reps where it's just Evan Ingram out there. Cool. You got reps where it's Kyle Rudolph and Evan Ingram out there. But also, that means taking him off the field at times where it's Kyle Rudolph and Caden Smith out there. Okay? Like, that's that's what it means at times. Put his reps around 60%. Stop putting him in there for 85% of the game. Let him be a situational player. And 60% is still a ton, you know? So when I say situational, it doesn't mean you're, you know he's a gadget player. But just know when you're using him. And now that you have Kyle Rudolph and you have Caden Smith, who's a solid backup, like, well, guess what? We can run two tight end sets without having a bad blocking tight end out there. Because Ingram's gotten a little better as his career has gone at, at blocking, and he'll have, like, you'll find reps of him like, wow, look at Ingram blocking on this play. But at the end of the day, he's never going to be a good blocker. And the Giants, who maybe want to run a little outside zone, which is a very hard like scheme to run. When it's ran well, it's very hard to stop, but it's very hard to run. And part of it is just blocking. Like, can your tackles and your tight ends make those blocks? And Evan Ingram will never be able to make those blocks. You know, and Joe Judge preaches versatility, so it's a little mind-boggling that the Giants organization's love for Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram doesn't do a lot well, but the thing that he does do well, he does it very well. So I don't mean to just crap on Evan Ingram, you know, this entire PPP. That's not really the focus of these. And it is a frustrating conversation of, like, we're now how many years into his NFL career and we're still having a conversation on how to use Evan Ingram. And I know you, you were talking about with Shermer, how he kind of used him right, but still it has been an every year conversation on how to use this guy. He's got to flat out perform better Bobby himself, but I, what, what do we actually expect from him? Cause if he's not going to be a guy that's going to block and if he's not going to be a guy that's going to run routes well in the intermediate part of the field, they have no choice but to decrease his snaps unless they want the same mistakes to repeat from last year. Here's my, my last point on Evan Ingram. I think he can have a good season, but I'm just not banking on it anymore. I'm not, I'm not banking on good, a good season from yeah. Evan Ingram. Um, you know, like he kind of gets, you know, like he's a very, like every training camp, we get the training camp highlights, like Evan Ingram's the king of those. But I, I'm sorry, I'm not banking on it until I see it happen. I want him to be consistent. And, and even if he has a good couple games, will we celebrate it? Absolutely. But I'm not being like, oh, wow, Evan Ingram is, is the tight end we always wanted to be. Put together for a full season. And stay healthy for a full season, you know? Like injuries were his issue before this year. Yeah. You know, he missed eight games in 2019, five in 2018. And then one game as a rookie. Like, so, like, the health has always been the issue with Evan Ingram. Like, you know, he had some drops, but drops weren't, like, a huge major issue for him coming into this year. It's like, we knew he didn't have the greatest hands. He was never going to be a Kyle Rudolph type. 
but his drops weren't like killer. Yeah. And he stays healthy, and then they become killer. So, <laughs> lo and behold, right? Are you rooting for the guys in blue, Justin? I'm rooting for the guys in blue. Root for Evan Ingram. I know he's not necessarily everybody's favorite, but also at the same time, I do feel he is everybody's darling. You know, but root for the guys in blue. Root for Evan Ingram. Go out, have a good year. Get a contract extension, brother. We appreciate you guys. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll save contract. Yeah, nah, yeah. Go on, prove Go, play it. good. Play good enough to get a yeah. contract. All right, let's take a break. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. Welcome to Talking Giants Player Profiles and Projections, and today we have outside linebacker Edge Lorenzo Carter, six foot five, two hundred fifty pounds, twenty five years old, coming off of a season-ending Achilles tear that he suffered Week Five versus the Dallas Cowboys after looking like a solid player to start a season. You know, in five games, he was playing the large majority of the snaps. He had 15 tackles, two tackles for a loss, a sack. So not eye-popping numbers, but the film told a different story than that. Where it's like, is Lorenzo like an out there dominating player? No, but it's like, you know what? He's a good edge player, and he's the best at the time, the best they had. And honestly, I think he's still the best, the best edge player going into the season. I do think he's going to be better than Aziz Ojolari to start. Justin, what? I mean, how do you feel about Lorenzo? We haven't really seen him at all, like, you know, week one will probably be the first time unless they play him in this Patriots game a little bit. How do you feel about Lorenzo Carter uh, going into the last year of his contract? Bad golf swing. Did you see the golf swing? Um, I didn't see anything. Weekend? I had to watch the freaking Bra- Browns broadcast, which uh, was really bad. But anyways. I, I, I hopefully clipped that entire thing, so maybe I'll, I'll post Lorenzo Carter's goal. It was, it was bad. It was, it was like, dude, I, I don't think he's ever picked up a golf club before. Right. Yeah, what do I, I think like about- him even more now. You like him even more. There you go. What do I think about Lorenzo Carter? I thought before he got hurt, he was really, really cementing in that he was edge rusher number one. And you just look at, I say this all the time, you look at the breakdown of the snaps that he was playing. He was getting like 80 to 90% of the snaps yeah, at Game edge. one, 98%. Game two, 98%. Game, uh, game three, 65%. But remember, that was the blowout versus San Fran. Yes, and O'Shane played a lot and that game. And then game yeah. four, 81%, and then you know he got hurt in the fifth game of the season. Yep. So I think that he was definitely a beneficiary of getting a lot of playing time um, in terms of why I feel like we you know we thought that his performance was well because I am a believer you know this is you know take take away from spreadsheet analytics Justin for a second I do really feel there is a value of edge rushers pass rushers etc. Getting to know their opponents, getting to know their tackles, getting a feel for the game. Michael Strahan and John Runyon talked about all the time how it's a dance and you got to get to know your partner. And if you get out there and you get those physical reps, as the game goes on, you know your opponent, so therefore you can attack your opponent better and better. And I think Lorenzo Carter was the beneficiary of that last year. And that's not a bad thing. I'm glad he got that opportunity because, once again, another guy in Patrick Graham's system that was on pace to have a career year. And I would consider that four-game stretch of which we saw Lorenzo Carter fully healthy. Those were the best four games of his career in terms of his impact on the football field. His pass-rushing production was nothing crazy. Like, you look at the pressures and you look at the QB hits and obviously only one sack. It wasn't anything crazy and it really wasn't anything different from, I think, the rate at which he was doing... The first three years of his career? No, it was very similar, to be honest. It was very similar. If anything, because he was playing more snaps, the rates might have been a little bit less. But 
his impact, you felt his impact on the field, especially in the run game and just as a guy who sets that edge. He is really important for this football team this year. I think he's not only you know the, the best edge rusher in the room, I think he is also the most important edge rusher because of the versatility that he brings. Before it was cool, Bobby Skinner, before it was cool for these edge rushers to line up at inside linebacker, Lorenzo Carter was doing that against Chicago a couple times last year. So there you go. Bam. Um, so you bring up versatility, and that's a big thing for just Giants edge rushers in general, and that's a big part of the Aziz Ojolari pick. And, you know, Aziz, I think, probably will be better in coverage pretty early on. Um, we'll see. You know, as a pass rusher, you probably give Lorenzo maybe the, uh, the edge day one, but, you know, Aziz, we're expecting to get better. Here's what I will say. Lorenzo Carter is the flat-out best edge defender or run defender on this team. Yep. Like that's that is not debatable. Like that's where you notice him the most. And it's not because he's making a bunch of tackles or, you know, racking up three tackles for a loss per game. It is he sets that edge beautifully. Like he re, like it's a thing of beauty. Like setting the edge is something beautiful. And, and it, on a Giants team that probably is pretty bad at it to be honest. Like O'Shane looked bad at it. Aziz, I don't know how he's going to do. You know, Effetti, he didn't do anything special so far that we've seen. Like, this this edge room might be bad at setting the edge and why we might see a little more three defense alignment sets again this season. But, like, Lorenzo, and that's why he played 98% of the snaps because you can play him in every single situation. And the one that gets forgotten is that run defending setting the edge. Like, that gets forgotten on edge players, and I'm guilty of it too. Like, I like O'Shane Zimenez because it's a pass rush ability. But it's like, okay, but you know what? If a fullback comes up to him, is he, is he going to, you know, is that fullback going to spring to play for a 30-yard gain? Or is O'Shane going to, you know, be able to spill it or play the outside gap or, or, or read it and diagnose it? So, like, he is the flat-out best run defender in this edge group. And, I, like I said, I don't think it's debatable at all. We want Aziz uh, Ojo. I almost said Aziz on sorry. That was bad. You want We want Aziz Ojolari to utilize the bull rush a little bit more and get strong. And I think one of the things that Lorenzo Carter has developed these past couple years is we viewed him, I think, to start as this situational pass rusher. He's a strong dude now. He is strong. I think he's gotten a lot stronger. It's the strength of his pass rushing, no pun I, Yeah, as the years have gone on where he, that bull rush, and I, I think, it, is, it a, is it a stem move? Is that the correct way to say it where you know not necessarily he's bull rushing with two hands but Lorenzo Carter does a good job of having one hand if you're if you're rushing on the right side then you have your left hand and that's straightened out and you have an offensive lineman straightened out meanwhile your other hand is used to get free from another guy I feel like that's like his best move um so he doesn't have like this wider range of pass rushing moves but he's strong and he is a great athlete and he has that bull rush to kind of back everything up. So even as a pass, as a run defender, that stem move works too because it gets separation from that offensive lineman and then it works as a, as a pass rusher as well. Oh boy, here he Yes. Oh, Bobby Skinner sneezing show. It's a shame the camera's on me. You heard it for a second there, folks. Uh, <laughs> so speaking of what you're, what you're talking about is pass rushing, I agree with 100%. Does he have the speed and the ability to bend the edge to be like that type of guy, like Aziz Ojolari? I don't think he does. But with that strength, with that ability like to stab and rip and, and you know having some solid moves, he has enough speed, enough ability to bend the edge to pair with that strength to give him some pass rushing ability. You know, and you look at the one sack and the four QB hits and they aren't great. But it's like, you know, Remember Leonard Williams' sack versus Pittsburgh and Dexter Lawrence's sack versus Pittsburgh in you know, week one? Those were Lorenzo Carter wins. You know, Lorenzo Carter was setting up the play to force, you know, Big, Bo- Big Ben in the pocket and keep contained. So, 
Like, he does have some pass rush ability. I don't ever view him as like, wow, we got this really good pass rush on Lorenzo Carter. I really just think his his greatest key is versatility and his run defense. Um, in coverage, he's adequate. But I, I, it's just that versatility matters so much for this Giants defense, and that's why they like him and want to play him a ton. Yeah, 12 coverage snaps, 12, 10 to 12 coverage snaps he would average kind of per game. Which I th- which was crazy to me. I, I looked it up on the you know PFF. They have the snap counts of where everybody lines up and what exactly they're doing in terms of run block, run run reps, pass reps, and etc. And I was really surprised to see because that's that's a decent chunk. If you're getting sixty to seventy snaps a game, which is a lot. I mean, that's I'll I'll, I'll just keep it at sixty. You know, if you're getting sixty snaps a game, which is the majority of the the reps, and you're getting ten coverage snaps, that is a decent chunk of a game. So it's not like you're just getting one or two here or there. And he does that well. And the fact that we're now pairing him with the Z's, who also can have that versatility, that is certainly a good thing. Bobby Skinner, here's something I want to ask you. Now that we have all the edge rushers in the world that can line up an interior linebacker, you know, Trent Harris has been doing it. Carter Coughlin's been doing it. You know, Cam Brown just did it for a hot sec, even though he's primarily a special teams player. We have all these edge rushers that can line up an inside linebacker, but I still feel like Lorenzo Carter is best suited because of how good he is in the run and how strong he is. I still feel like Lorenzo Carter is best suited to do that, like, next to Blake Martinez, let's say. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you want to see him do that more this year? Or are you saying, leave Lorenzo where he is at edge and let's just use Tay and let's use Carter Coughlin in that role? Leave Lorenzo because of that ability to set the edge. Sure. To me, it's as simple as that. Like, yeah. leave him leave him there because of that ability to set the edge. Because then who's setting the edge? Now, again, it doesn't mean you just don't give him any reps. Like, versatility is key and, and giving the defense or the offense different looks and trying to keep them from what is expected. But it's just... I. I don't view him as a threat from that spot. Like they're like he's he's not a good pass rusher from that spot. If you're gonna like bring him into blitz or anything like that, like it's not a strength. If anything, it plays against him because his strength is his strength, which is better out on the edge. Um, it's just it, and he just he's not gonna read and react the way a Carter Coughlin, a Tay Crowder would. So, okay. um, and it's like and I I honestly Reggie Ragland might be like the inside linebacker version of Lorenzo Carter anyway. So just yep. give those reps to Reggie Ragland. There you go. Where it's like Ragland was like, yeah, he sometimes he looks good out on the edge better than he does, you know, as, as a stack inside linebacker. Is this a contract year for Zoe or was he taking, yep. he was 2018? Third round pick, three, four year deal. This is year four. Wow. So what are we expecting contract year? What would we like to see? projection-wise, sack-wise, out of Lorenzo Carter? So you have four sacks his rookie year, four and a half his second year, one this past year. I think the four and a half numbers is, is a fit. Like, I don't think he's going to ever surpass that. You even go look back at George. Like, he was never putting up a ton of sacks. I think four and a half is the right number. What I do want to see is, is the tackles for a loss at seven and six bump up to ten. Yep. Maybe have a few more QB hits. But just the sack number, I think it's, it's fine to expect like four and a half. I want six. I want at least six. That now, would be fun. That would be nice. I'm not expecting ten, but I'm expecting six to seven and a half. That's that's my number. It's crazy to like, you know, these Gellin draft picks are entering their last year of their deal, which is, you know, time flies. Alright, anything else on Lorenzo Carter? No. Root for the guys in blue and also root for the million Georgia dog Georgia Bulldogs we have. Root for the guys in Georgia Bulldog Red. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time. Until then, let's go dogs and big blue.